Welcome to episode 7 of the Inclusion Initiative, a Jedi AAEM podcast, a production of the Justice, Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion section of the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. Each month, this podcast will feature established leaders as well as a diverse group of members in the specialty of emergency medicine. In this episode, Dr. Kimberly Brown, current AAEM at-large board member, speaks with AAEM at-large board member, Dr. Vicki Norton. Really, Vicki, this podcast started from me just wanting to get to know different people in the academy. Of course, um, we are a close-knit, small family, um, but sometimes you can see people just around the organization throughout the years and just want to get to know them more than just when you see them at SA or sometimes on a council or um, a a committee meeting, such or so forth. So that's why I wanted to start this podcast. And this is why you're here. I've seen you as a bright star of the Academy for quite some time. And I'm really happy to be able to serve on the board of directors with you. But I thought that it'd be a good way to get to know you a little bit better. Yeah, that's great. Thanks for inviting me. I'm really excited. No problem. So why don't we just start off with Tell me about you from the beginning, little baby Vicky, like where did you grow up? How did you grow up? Do you have siblings? Tell me all about you. Yeah, I was born in North Carolina. We moved up to New Jersey when I was five. So I did all of my like elementary through high school in New Jersey. And my parents immigrated to the United States from the Ukraine, from Kiev in 75. So my sister was born there and they moved over here when she was about seven. So she's quite a bit older than me. So she was like another parent growing up. So I I almost grew grew up as like an only child and then, and then grew up in like an immigrant household. Like I was the first generation to be born in the U S. And so it was interesting, like having the perspective of them having to struggle and establish themselves. And then, but then also having a privileged upbringing and like being in like a nice part of New Jersey and having good schooling and everything. So it was weird to hear all the stories and then also be in a, a completely different situation from them. And then it, it made me always want to make sure I could have good education and establish myself and make sure that um, I had a good career, but like, I never really thought I would become a doctor at first. I always was like scared by the sight of blood when I was younger. I remember once I almost fainted when I heard a story about somebody getting injured and my parents will tell you too, that they did not picture me becoming a doctor initially. Um, but I think I just, I was in several situations like where I just felt helpless in medical emergencies and, and I wanted to know more. And I, so I thought about pre-med and then I studied more and I became an EMT in college and ended up just really liking the emergency side of things. Like I I liked seeing a little bit of everything. I liked being able to know what to do in any situation. And I thought emergency medicine was, that's the ticket. That's the best field in medicine because it's the best 15 minutes of every other specialty. It's the most exciting specialty. So I, and it really was Um, great when I finally found that because I felt like I found my people too. And so that was how I landed in medicine and how I grew up. But it was interesting growing up in an immigrant household because nobody, nobody else around me really was hearing the experiences that my parents went through and what our family went through to come here. Can you, thank you for going back to that. Cause that's where I wanted to start off. So can you tell me a little bit more about growing up in an immigrant family where you I guess one question came to my mind, were you also bilingual um, as well when you came here or did your parents have any um, other language that they spoke before they came here? 
Yeah. So they came and it was still the Soviet Union. So everybody in my family spoke Russian. I was born in North Carolina and my parents at that time, like in the eighties, they thought that it would confuse a child to teach them more than one language. So they spoke Russian around me, but never to me. <laughs> so I never learned Russian until I went to college and I actually took Russian courses to teach myself Russian because I just, I wanted to learn how to read and write. Like I, I could understand it because I'd listened to it growing up and I could get the pronunciation and I knew how to speak a little bit, but I really learned more in college, but yeah, they just thought it was, it would be confusing for a child, which I think was a common mindset back then that you can't teach children more than one language because then they get confused. They have a speech delay and they're confused, but actually it's now shown that's them figuring out how to speak more than one language at once. And then they get it and they can speak multiple languages. No problem. So tell me a little bit more about growing up in an immigrant household then. So everybody around you speaking Russian, you're speaking English. And then I guess, yes, you're in New Jersey, which is a melting pot because that's next to um, New York, which everyone calls the mel big melting pot. But how did that really look for you? Yeah, it was, it was weird because at home, I they would only speak English to me and then they speak Russian to each other. So it's almost like they had a secret language. <laughs> And then my friends were very American. So I just, I tried to be American and that's what they wanted for me. That's what my parents came to this country. And that was their goal was to become Americans. Like they didn't like maintaining your cultural heritage back then to them wasn't as important as assimilating. And so that was, it was like become American. So that's how it was growing up. I didn't feel like I was Russian. I felt or that I was Ukrainian. I felt like I was American. And, but then I still was, I felt like I, I had that grounding, like I was grounded because my parents told me all these stories of them growing up in the Soviet union, like not even being able to, you go to the store and there's no food on the shelves and you have to wait in line for hours at a time to get a loaf of bread. And you have to, you just, where you're born is where you die. Like you can't move unless some situation opens up. It's like your family stays in the same apartment. So it, it just hearing stuff like that and like seeing how much freedom we had in America, it was like, really gave me great perspective. I think it's what got me into college um, <laughs> because, because like I wrote about my parents' experience for one of my college essays and I, and UNC was my college and I got in out of state and everybody was telling me, don't even apply. You won't get in out of state. And I wrote that essay about how proud I am being an American and that got me in out of state. So I just thought that was funny that 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 experience got me into my dream college because I wanted to go to UNC. So yeah, definitely got you into college then. <laughs> when did you have that experience? Because you said you had several kind of medical encounters that made you really decide to go into medicine. Can you share maybe one of those with me? Yeah. So one happened in college because in college I got there and I was like, I could do anything. I, I don't know what I want to do. And I was exploring my options, but I had, I was walking out of class one day and somebody dropped to the ground, and had a seizure right in front of me. And I, I had never seen someone have a seizure. I had never, like, I, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what was happening. And I just remember feeling like helpless and, and it like, it was like out of a movie, right? Saving Private Ryan was one of the movies back then that I loved. And the, there's a scene where the medic, the guy that knows how to save everybody when they're injured gets shot and all the guys are standing around the medic and not knowing what to do. And it was the most like horrible scene. I remember watching that movie. Cause I was just like, what are they going to do? They don't know what to do. Nobody knows what to do except for the guy that's on the ground bleeding. And so that's how I felt in that situation. It like brought back 
like that feeling of watching that movie. And I remember being like, I just, I just found my calling. This is what I need to do. I need to learn how to be the person in this situation that can help. Wow. Wow. That's really interesting. That reminds me the first time I saw somebody have a seizure, it was in the emergency department. I was a third, no, third, fourth year medical student, but still feeling helpless and not Mm -hmm. knowing what to do, even though I knew what to do in a way, just like the first time of being on in a moment that so yeah I can definitely see how that would propel you to being an emergency physician because we take care of anybody anytime Mm -hmm. you didn't say I don't think but where did you go to medical school and residency I was in Philadelphia I was at Drexel for medical school and then I was at Temple for residency nice and so how do we get to Florida because I know you as a Florida queen now so (laughs) how did you get down there it's, we followed my parents down. So I got married in residency and we started having kids right away. And so my first daughter was born in Philadelphia, but that was like right when I graduated from residency. And then I was looking for jobs. We wanted to be closer to family because we had started a family. And so my husband and I were looking at either moving to North Carolina to be closer to his family or moving to Florida to be near my parents and my sister, because my parents were retiring and moving down. And we just found like better options for like jobs and everything in Florida. And so we chose Florida. Awesome. So at what point do you get involved with AEM? Had you been involved since a medical student or how did you catch wind of AEM? I got involved in residency a little bit, like peripherally. I was, I did a poster in my second year, like of an interesting case. And I remember at the time I was just like, oh, this is an interesting case. And Bob McNamara actually told me like, oh, you can make a poster and then you could present it at AEM and we'll pay for you to go. And I was like, wait, free vacation? (laughs) I said, Pay, pay to go. Sure. I will do that. And, and of course the year that I got that, it was like not a glamorous location. It was Phoenix, <laughs> so, but still warmer and nicer than Philadelphia at the time. So I was very excited and I presented my poster and didn't win anything, but I didn't care because I was on vacation <laughs> and I just met all the, the cool former residents from Temple because they had like get together. And I met like a lot of people that had graduated and established themselves in other parts of the country. And, and I heard what AM was about and I was, why wouldn't I join this organization? Because this is the organization. This is like the one that cares about emergency physicians and cares about delivering good patient care and making sure we have a fair workplace. And so I was like, this is a no brainer. I'm going to stay involved with this organization. So that kind of got me hooked. And then, and then I went back my third year, presented another poster, <laughs> <laughs> to get to go for free. But no, I, I just love the conference. I just thought the lectures were amazing. Like the educational content was just so great that I was really excited to go back and, and it was really fun. And then I just stayed involved once I graduated because I already was introduced to it and I liked the people and the organization's mission and everything. So I stayed involved. Okay. So like I said, you've been involved since I've known you. So you, Clearly you're on the board of directors. In your second term, you were very instrumental of getting the women in EM section off the ground. You're involved in Florida AEM, which I really should pause and start and ask you really about that. Remind me to segue to that. You've been instrumental to help Jedi get off the ground as well too as a section. Um, What am I missing? What else have you been involved in? I'm sure your AEM resume is like much longer than what I just listed. 
I think that's the majority of things. Like I, I first got involved in Florida and then through Florida was still coming to the national meetings and got involved in the women's section. And like you, you show up to meetings and you show interest and it's, it's not hard to get involved. And then um, once you do, it's so rewarding. I remember just showing up to a couple of women's section meetings and having a couple of ideas, like being like, oh, why don't we do this for a t-shirt? Or why don't we have this type of event or do this to help people deal with coming back postpartum? We like put out like a policy and common sense that Temple had adopted, like one of my former attendings there helped write it. And I was like, let's put this into common sense to show people what good postpartum, like return to work policy should be. And like things like that. And then they were like, oh, you should lead the section or you should lead the committee. And I'm like, I, all I did was show up and have a couple of ideas <laughs> and now you want me to take on all this responsibility. Yeah. yeah. But no, but that's all it takes is like just showing interest and caring about it. And then you show up and you have ideas and people will give you opportunities. So absolutely. And I think sometimes when we say just show up and have great ideas, I think what's really great about AEM is also our staff. Like we have a lot of great support in our staff members that can actually help lead and guide other than just us members as well too. So I'm sure that the powers that be behind the scenes helped you a lot as well too. So what all have you been doing in um, Florida for AEM as well too? So we, Florida chapter was established a while back, but I got involved like probably a year after I moved down, one of my colleagues had been like a past president and he was like, oh, you should run for the board. And I'm like, what do you mean run for the board? Like I haven't done anything. He's like, oh, like it's, it's minimal commitment, just run for the board. And so he put me up as like an associate member, like he nominated me. And so I served in that spot for a year. And then I ran for the regular board. And so at that time, like the main thing Florida was doing was the, the scientific assembly mm -hmm. and getting involved with planning that and learning like all that takes. And I couldn't have done that without Tom Durain because that was like very difficult. And I had to go visit with the hotel and arrange menus and arrange room blocks. And, and he helped 100% with all that, but learning to do all that and seeing how much goes into it made me really appreciate going to scientific assembly and being like, wow, there's so much work that goes into this because Florida's meeting is like a hundred people and scientific assembly is 10 times that. So it's definitely eye-opening when you see everything that goes into planning it. And yeah, that was, I just got on the board and stayed involved. And then I realized that like a lot of the issues in emergency medicine that like I felt so strongly about when it comes to patient safety and providing good care for patients and making sure that emergency physicians are in good workplace environments, that a lot of those issues were being legislated at a state level. So that's when I got more involved with the state advocacy stuff. And that's what I've been doing since I got off the board. Like I went up, I went through the board, became secretary and vice president and president. Um, but then when I got off the board, I got much more involved in the state advocacy and, and working through the Florida Medical Association, trying to help Flame have a voice there. So that's what I've been doing in these last few years since I haven't been on the board there. So how did you then transition from Florida AEM's board to our national board? I just, I was very involved with the women's section. Prior to becoming section, it was a committee and I was a committee chair along with, with Faith Quenzer, and she and I helped transition the committee to a section. And then once that happened and I rolled off as chair, I decided I wanted to continue 
helping with this, with AEM and helping them move forward with a lot of the issues that were important to the women's section. A lot of the issues that were important to states because of my experience with Florida. So I think my perspective is important. So I think I should try to run for the board. And of course I had encouragement from sponsors like Dave Farsi and Dr. McNamara and Mark Ryder, and they've been instrumental in like guiding me to keep pursuing these other opportunities because they see that I do have a perspective that's maybe a little different from other people on the board and that I should definitely have a voice in the organization. That's so awesome. So now you, uh, you're in your second year on the board. Where do you see yourself going in AM? Do you want to continue board service? Where will life take you, I say, in the next five years or so? Yeah, I definitely see myself continuing on the board as long as I can and running for higher office when my time is up. And I do love AEM as an organization and believe in everything that we stand for. So I want to do what I can to keep helping. And I, it's a lot of time. It's a lot of effort, but it, I feel strongly about it. So I'm going to keep doing it. Absolutely. Vicki, thank you so much for your time. Do you have anything that you want to share that maybe I didn't ask you about or... No, I live in a zoo. <laughs> what do you mean you live in a zoo? <laughs> I have three dogs, two guinea pig, two guinea pigs, a we had a fish that have fortunately passed away, so I can't say a fish anymore. And then and then three crazy kids and a crazy husband. But yeah, no, I a lot of people met my kids because I brought them to scientific assembly this year. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And I'm still laughing. Is it your younger daughter's critique of everybody? That was running for the board of directors. She was like giving us like notes. <laughs> she was uh, interviewing everybody. She was taking notes and interviewing everyone and trying to find out more about everybody, which I thought yeah. was really cool. Which it seems like she's a lot like you. And then of course, your husband's always a good time. I met him at MEMC in Malta. And so we had, of course, all of us a blast together. So mm -hmm. your family is quite fun. Okay. I have to know this before I, you go then, because I did not know you had guinea pigs. What are their, what are your names of your guinea pigs? Ginger and pepper. So not salt and pepper or not ginger and paprika. I know. I thought, yeah, I don't know. My kids, that's what they picked. So ginger is like ginger colored. Okay. <laughs> I think she looks more like a cinnamon. Okay. So, but uh, yeah, so that's what they picked. I don't know. You were outnumbered. <laughs> so you're not going to get a third one so you can have a cinnamon? Maybe. I don't, it's hard to introduce them. Like once we got them as babies and they grew up together. So now like introducing a baby, they might attack it. <laughs> That's, true. That's true. I do. I do remember that from knowing about guinea pigs. That is super cute. Okay. They, do, they well, love having a little partner. They love, they get very close. So they, they bond. So you need, you can't just get one guinea pig. You have to get two. You have to get at least two. I didn't know that before. <laughs> That's a scam in a way though. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe people should be like, buy one, get one free. It's so it's encourage the people to, to buy more than one. I don't know. It feels like a scam though, in a way. <laughs> get more guinea pigs out on the market. <laughs> well, tell Ginger and Pepper that AEM says hello. <laughs> I will. And we appreciate knowing them. But no, thank you, Vicky, so much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We hope you've enjoyed this podcast from the American Academy of Emergency Medicine. AAEM is a nonprofit professional association of over 8,000 emergency physicians dedicated to board certification and democratic group practice. For more information about AAEM, 
visit our website at www.aaem.org. Find all episodes of this podcast and our other podcast series on the AAEM website.